Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. All right, if you have a Bible, um, please turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, let me see. Um, Hector is at work in New York. Um, it is lunchtime there. Blessings to you, my friend. Um, Anne Marie is in Whiting, Indiana. Um, much grace to you. Happy 2021, everyone. God's blessings to everyone. Yes, Deborah, um, for you as well. Um, as you look into, you know what, I'm just going to put this down. Uh, I just wanted to give some quick shout outs. Um, let me see, that was on the Burning Ones page. Um, as a matter of fact, I will jump over real quick to see who, um, if anyone, uh, Miss Gwen. Uh, we love you so much. Uh, Mary from World Impact, and we love our World Impact family. Uh, Jeff Haddon, you are the man. Um, Christine, yes, there are a lot of gatherings in Florida. Um, hello, Amber. Hello, Barbara. Yes, yes, yes. All right, um, we're just going to jump right into it. As you look into Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read a handful of verses here, um, and then we are going to allow those verses to provide the necessary crucible to inform us on who we are supposed to be and because of who we are supposed to be, how we then are supposed to behave um, as we are interacting with the world around us. Um, the reason that I say it in that order is because I believe a lot of times uh, we don't necessarily understand in a full way who we are. And when we don't really understand who we are, we become more susceptible to the invitations and the deceptions to be something else other than what we have been transformed into, other than the image we are being conformed into, other than the posture. And by posture, I just mean the primary identification of who God has made us our confidence, our restful place of belonging, understanding that God has made me to be something. I don't have to be something else. I don't have to give way to the cheerleaders or the crowds or the applause. I don't have to be bought in order to behave in a certain way. I don't need to be convinced or debated or deceived into being something or belonging in another category that I just honestly don't belong to because I understand that I am. And when I understand that I am or what I am, what God has made me to be, and as Paul writes, 
um, later on in Ephesians to walk worthy of the calling with which we have received. Um, When I understand the calling that I bear because of what it is that I am and the the price that God has paid in order to make me what he has made me and then because of what he is continually making me, when I understand the severity of the cost, um, it actually provides a great amount of freedom. It provides a great amount of freedom, but it doesn't necessarily make the consequences of that as my life is now planted in the world any easier. We understand that as believers, and when I say believers, I'm not talking about believers in Buddhism. I'm not talking about believers um, in Islam. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about believers in Jesus, Jesus Christ, the son of God, as believers in Jesus, having being bought by the blood of Jesus, being filled with the precious Holy Spirit. When I understand that what I am is not always going to fit nicely and neatly into the world where my life has been placed, that also provides a certain measure of grace and freedom to understand that because of what I am, at times there's going to be difficulty when what I am intersects with the world around me, where what God has done in me actually has to interact with the world, with the culture, with other people who don't believe the way that I do, other people that are hostile against the way that I believe, um, other people that hold dear to opposite viewpoints, radical ideologies that are trying to bend and sway and turn life as we know it, as we are all trying to live amongst one another, trying to sway life as we know it in radically opposite directions than maybe what I would consistently be trying to see as the outcomes that my life is creating. Um, When I understand that stuff is just going to be hard sometimes. It provides real freedom to understand that when things get difficult, I don't have to bend in the way that difficulty is bending in order to preserve my influence. Um, Because my influence has been found in my confidence of what God has actually made me and not what I am morphing into or being molded into as the pressure of the culture that surrounds me begins to turn me into something that they want me to be rather than understanding what it is that God has made me to be. And now I am not to be the influenced, but I am to be the influence. I am now what could be considered the transformative element in the midst of the cultural ebbs and flows, rather than my life over time being transformed by the pressures of the culture around me. I am the instrument of transformation that God has sown into the culture. He's wove it into life and those that I interact with. And I am the influence because, um, not because you're super amazing, not because you're really cute, not because you're smarter than everybody else, not because you got more money. It's because you possess the Holy ghost. It's because you're filled with God's spirit. It's because he paid for you with his own blood. 
It's because there was a precious price that was paid in order for him to redeem a people and to make for himself a family that would fill the nations of the earth, that would bear his image, that would be conformed to his image, that would carry his glory, that would bring the announcement of the gospel. We are a family that has flooded the nations that are, if I could say, the only people in the world that carry real hope. We're the only people in the world that carry real hope Um, because our kingdom is unshakable because the glory of our king, his dominion, it's unending. It's eternal. There is none that rivals him. He is not matched. There are none that can compare. Jesus isn't competing for the throne. He has been established. He is at rest. He is seated He is awaiting the day when his father will release him so that he might come again in order to, if we could say this way, um, geopolitically establish his throne in a way where he will rule in a specific geography, that being from Jerusalem. He will rule the nations and all politics will come to an end because politics in a kingdom sense looks like a beautiful broken man seated on a throne, one who bears holes in his hands, scars upon his body for the price that he paid for the people that he desired, the one who bled out on our behalf, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, the worthy one when all of heaven was searching and all beneath the earth and in the earth was looking for one worthy to open up the scroll. That's what kingdom politics looks like. It looks like a God willing to lay his life down. It looks like a beautiful man who desired a bride, who thought that this bride was to die for and laid his own life down so that he could be the first fruits of a new creation a new version of humanity. There's a man seated in the heavens that is awaiting the marriage supper of the lamb when his father that has been preparing this bride by the powerful working of the Holy Ghost, his own spirit, readying a people to marry his son, this marriage supper of the lamb. There is a beautiful broken man that is seated in the heavens and he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He rules. He reigns. He will never be voted out. There will be never, there will never be another. It is him. It is only him forever. And we are awaiting the day when we will be married to him. That's kingdom politics. But the world, as we know it, um, is increasingly becoming a crazy place. Um, And it's a crazy place to live in. I understand that. You understand that. Um, There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Um, There are people that are deceived. Um, There are other people that are just full-blown demon-possessed. If you don't believe in demonic possession, I'm sorry. I'm I'm not sorry in a way that like I am going to uh, be debated into your viewpoint. Uh, I'm sorry that what the scripture says is something that you don't believe. That's what I'm sorry for. Um, There are full people that are just full blown demon possessed. 
Um, as we read in the beginning of Ephesians 2, for anybody that thought I did forget, I didn't forget. We're going to read those verses in just a moment. Um, as we read in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, which is not where we're going to start. Um, but Paul says, among them too, we all were formerly in bondage by the spirit of the world. The spirit of the age, powers and principalities, um, the ruler of the air, the prince of the powers of the air, right? We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but there is an unseen realm where there is very real powers, principalities, high places in darkness. There are authorities that are attempting to govern all of life, uh, right? Had the rulers of the age known what they were doing when they nailed Jesus to the cross, if they really understood the consequences of their actions, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Um, but the point is, is that there are rulers of the age that are seeking to manipulate all of creation and to put them into a specific bondage, derailing God's purposes for his sons and daughters that he created, that he loves, that he is longing to be reconciled into beautiful fellowship with. This is the atonement. This is the sacrifice. It's the piercing of the body of Jesus. It's the tearing of the veil. It is the re- access into a wonderful place of relationship with God himself by the price that he was willing to pay, laying down his own life. I love you enough to lay my life down to be in relationship with you. Um, but there are very real rulers of the age, very real rulers of the age, very real powers, principalities, very real demonic influences, very real spirit of the age, spirit of the air, right? Jesus says, I'm not going to be able to talk with you guys much longer. Why? The prince of the world or the ruler of the world or the prince of the power of the air is coming. But I'm not afraid because he doesn't have anything in me. Um, he's not just saying he doesn't have any dirt on me. Right? Like he didn't just, he, he hasn't caught me doing anything that I wasn't supposed to be doing. Um, what he's saying is that there's nothing of his image or his likeness that is alive on the inside of me. There is no place in my life where he has gained access to who I am or what I am. There's nothing about my makeup. There's nothing about my substance, my DNA. There's nothing about the quality of my character, my stature, nothing. When I am investigated, when I am evaluated, when you thoroughly look through my life and what I am, nothing about me belongs to him. There's nothing about me that bears his image. There's nothing about my behavior that can be traced back to his influence. There is nothing in me, and therefore, I'm not afraid. Let him come. And in Ephesians chapter 2, later on, um, we find some beautiful language. Because again, if Jesus is our pattern, right? Jesus is the prototype. He is the pattern. Jesus is the end all. There will never be another version of human that has to come and reveal to us God's ultimate desires for humanity. Jesus has successfully 
revealed to humanity what God is like in perfection. And he has successfully revealed to God, if you would, the potential of humanity in perfection. Jesus is the pattern. There will never be another. And if Jesus is the pattern, and if it's into his image that we are being conformed, right? That's the language of Romans 8, right? For those of us that come to believe, we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of this beautiful man. We have been predestined to be conformed to the image of this patterned son. We have been predestined. It is God's delight. It is his desire to take the lives of those who were once bound in sin, to take the lives of those who were once chained to darkness, to take those who were at one point ruled by the spirit of the world, to take those who were once a prisoner, a captive to powers and principalities and self-indulgence and their own rebellion, their own desire for independence, to rule their own lives by their own flesh worldly wisdom. It is God's delight and it is his desire to take all of these broken pieces and to completely, wonderfully, gloriously transform them into something and someone that they would never have been able to make themselves. For those that come to believe, for those that come to believe, that pledge their allegiance to Jesus, that bow their knee, not to the world, not to the spirit of the age, not to the pressure of the culture, but bow their knee to this wonderful, beautiful, broken man, this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords, this exalted one, this ruler of all creation and all things, this beautiful Jesus, to those that bow their knee and pledge their allegiance and lay their life down, Um, Because our lives are being patterned after the one who laid his own life down. Um, So a right response to a pledging of this allegiance to this king of kings, a right response is to now in like fashion, empowered by the Holy Spirit, lay our lives down. As we lay our lives down and God fills us with his spirit, the Holy Spirit, we are being conformed into an image of that the world can't produce. We are being conformed to an image that money will never be able to buy. Doesn't matter how much Botox, doesn't matter all the tummy tucking. We're being conformed into an image that nothing that is of this world will be able to mirror, manufacture, or reproduce because the image is one that belongs above us. He is not like us and the power of his life that is at work inside of us is not compatible with the spirit of the world. The power of the life that is right now, if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you have pledged your allegiance to Jesus as King and you are looking, longing to live in covenant loyalty to him as king, if you have been gloriously filled with the Holy Spirit, then the power of the life that is at work right now on the inside of you is not trying to make you into something that the world is going to better embrace and receive. 
Because the power of the life that is at work on the inside of you does not belong to the world. Um, therefore, we are not trying to be something that the world is going to be better buddies with. That's not God's goal. Um, he's not trying to make you a better buddy of the world. Um, he's not trying to make you something that is in a easier way going to interact um, that is in an easier way going to weave itself into. Um, no, no, no. This actually is not the goal at all. Jesus told them they hated me. And because they hated me, they're going to hate you also. Now, that doesn't mean that we, we get up every day and run out in the middle of the road trying to be persecuted. That doesn't mean that we gain some Rambo complex and we're just trying to prove a point and we're just trying to be so demonstrative as to how much suffering we can create for ourselves and what types of cruel and unusual punishment we can bring upon our own lives so that we can prove that we're really about this Jesus life. No, no, that's, that's weird. That's twisted. That's not the goal. But however, what we should be ready for in a full way is to understand that our compatibility with the world is not God's goal. And that when that becomes confrontational or when there are severe consequences to our loving devotion to Jesus, that we should realize we carry a grace by the life of God's own spirit on the inside of us to not have to bow to the pressure of the culture around us, but to rise to the occasion, to stand in conviction and to be willing to bear the consequences of this covenant loyalty because Jesus is King and the culture is not. And what we're going to read, uh, because I know you probably think I still am never going to get there, but I am. Uh, th this is all my two point introduction. That's a joke. Um, you know what? Let's let's pick it up in verse eleven. Again, we're in Ephesians chapter two. Therefore. Therefore is a transitional word, not to offend anyone's intelligence, but therefore is a transitional word. And it is highlighting the things that have been written previously, right? To open Ephesians 2, there was a point where everybody was in bondage to the spirit of the world. There were no exemptions. It wasn't like, well, no, you don't understand. I'm a good person. Nobody asked you if you were a good person. The choices are not good and bad. The choices are dead or alive. And those of us that have not come to faith in Christ are dead. And when the world and all of its ways pass, we too will pass and fade into its judgment because we have not yet come alive in Christ by the precious price that was paid in order to buy us back from the depths of hell and death. For we have been translated out of a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, the glorious, wonderful light in the radiant face of this Jesus who is waiting for the people um, that he paid for, this family, the harvesting of the nations on what will in a physical reality way be the marriage supper of the lamb. Um, but this therefore is in reference to things written right behind that. There was a time where everybody fit into this category, everybody. 
um, everybody. It doesn't matter if you were never a drug addict. It doesn't matter if you weren't an alcoholic. It doesn't matter uh, if you never beat your spouse. It doesn't matter um, if you were never physically violent or abusive to your children. It doesn't matter if you never robbed a bank. It doesn't matter if you never cheated on your taxes. It doesn't matter uh, you know, if you ever hid in the orange groves and threw rocks or oranges at the cars when they drove by. None of that matters. The choices are not good and bad. The choices are dead and alive. Those are the two categories. And everyone Paul is grouping for those who have not yet, because there's a progression here. At one point, everybody was dead in their trespasses. At one time, everyone was buried in darkness, a prisoner to the spirit of the age and their own self-indulgence. And the working of the spirit of the age is seeking to infiltrate the interior life of creation, the heart and the mind, in order to get them to act on their own rebellious desires, their own independence, to do what they think is best or what they feel they want most. At one point, everybody was there. But praise God, because of his loving kindness because of his tender mercies because of the price that he paid because of this wonderful powerful precious working blood he has made us alive to god and he has brought us into union with his son jesus by the power of his spirit. And now, because of the grace of God, now because of the tender mercies of God, now because of God's long suffering with his creation, now because of God's patience with his sons and his daughters, now because of the wisdom of the cross, the power of the blood, the price that Jesus paid, we no longer have to remain dead in our trespasses. We no longer have to remain a prisoner to death. We no longer have to be a captive to bondage and rebellion and independence and self-indulgence but now we were once dead but now we're alive and we're not just alive to do our own thing we're alive to do God's thing because we are alive to God and he has put his spirit in us and he has brought us into union with his son if anyone has been brought into Christ he is now a new creation and all of what was old has passed and behold all things become new this is the therefore right i I know you probably thought i forgot again therefore remember that formerly you the gentiles in the flesh who are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision right? There's categories, there's groups. Um, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and you were without God in the world, right? We have to understand that until the cross, there was one people group in the earth that carried the covenant from God himself. 
And that was the children of Israel. Up until the cross, there was one people group that had hope in the world. There was one people group that carried the oracles of God, meaning like the revealed voice of the Lord and his desires. There was one people group that carried through prophetic utterance and through prophetic demonstration. There was one people group and everyone else was outside. Everyone else was without hope. Everyone else was separate from God until the cross. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Um, That sounds pretty tragic. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And this, it's it's all good, but this is where we're going to create an emphasis. It's going to get really good. And then we are going to attempt to make it really land where you and I are living. Um, Because right now, there is a lot of chaos. There is a lot of nonsense. There is a lot of deception. um, And there are a lot of heartbreaking realities that are unfolding all around us. Um, And especially for those of us whose lives are planted here in the United States, who feel called to live here and be on mission here. Um, Many heartbreaking things that are going on. So we're going to attempt to take what's really amazing here and then make it really amazing in real life. Um, Verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Um, Therefore, right? There's a condition that all of you used to live in. There's a category that everybody fit into. But it was God's desire that pulled you out. It was God's longing to be reconciled into fellowship with his creation that provided a way for us to be brought out of death and darkness and brokenness, to come alive, to be translated out of the kingdom of darkness and to be brought into the wonderful kingdom, the dominion of his son that he loves. Where now we're not bound to darkness, but we're bound to Jesus. Where now we're not prisoners of sin, but we're bondservants to Christ. Where now we're no longer under deception, but we see clearly because we have access to the mind of Christ. But it doesn't say that there are a bunch of different rallying points in order for the unity, in order for the joyful experience and expression of this peace to come about. In verse 14, he says, but he himself is our peace. Jesus is the rallying point. Not the Jesus that you want, but the Jesus that is. The one who was and is and is to come. Not the Jesus that our culture has formed. Not the Jesus that both sides of our political parties have formed. Not the Jesus that the governments of the world, not the Jesus that other religious um, expressions of faith have created, not the Jesus of the Quran, not the Jesus of the globalism, not, 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 not any of these Jesuses, but the Jesus that came, that revealed himself to creation, that was crucified and buried, that was resurrected, that ascended, 
who is glorified forever. Um, the Jesus who doesn't really fit nicely and neatly into all of our denominations. Um, the Jesus who is problematic to some of the ways that we think he is and some of the ways that we want him to be. Paul says this Jesus, he is our peace. He is the only hope for peace that we have in the world. He is the only option for us as believers that we have unto real peace, lasting peace. And he made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in its ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man or the expression of one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who already felt they were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints. And you are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God, an abiding place for God, a habitation for God by his own spirit. Um, I, I think it's super important that we realize the cross has created a new family. Um, the cross has created a new race. Um, the cross has made way for God to harvest the nations to form a people that as he fills them with his spirit become a brand new version of humanity here and now. Yes, being prepared for forever but in the right here, right now are being transformed by the power of that spirit and that life alive on the inside of us. The cross has created a new race. It has put to death all of the walls of hostility, all of the walls of division, all of the enmity, all of the hostility, all of the painful divides, all of the lingering brokenness, the attitudes, the perspectives, the opinions that continually create reasons for us to be distant, for us to be separated, for us to fit into different categories, for us to not have to prefer one another for our lives, not to have to fit together one to another. The cross has put to death everything that is trying to divide us. Uh, and it's important 
that we make these statements as slowly and as simply as we do. Um, because as we looked at last week in Matthew chapter 4 and Jesus's temptation, his confrontation with the enemy in the wilderness, um, the enemy in the wilderness, right? We, we get it, the, the wilderness being the physical representation of the domain of the wicked one, um, being the territory or being the place, the physical time and space, uh, again, if we use these things symbolically, um, where the reign of the enemy should have been able to prevail, uh, right? We see Jesus compelled or thrust out into the wilderness, 40 days, fasting, praying, brokenness, weakness. He's hungry after the conclusion of the fast. Here comes the wicked one, the tempter, to try to maximize or to take advantage of, to try to leverage a moment of perceived weakness. There's an opportunity that the enemy feels he has with Jesus, that if he can play his cards right, he will get Jesus to compromise and to choose to lay hold of things that God has promised, but just not the way that God has prescribed. And it's very important that we return to this picture that we have in Matthew chapter four, as we are having this conversation about being a new version of humanity, about having this conversation that exhorts us, provokes us to live in light of what the cross has created a way for. And that is a people that are no longer defined by all of our individual preferences or distinctions. We are no longer categorized by way of race, societal class, upbringing. We are no longer preferred by the color of our skin or by the language that we speak, but the cross has put to death. The blood of Jesus has abolished the wisdom of God in laying his own life down to create a way to reconcile himself back into relationship with his creation has now prevailed. The spirit of the age has been conquered and in our hearts, we are no longer prisoners of death and bondage, meaning given over to the wisdom of the world, bound by the spirit of the age, having to, in self-indulgence, continue in our rebellion. This is no longer our place. But in the conversation, we have to be very careful because what we see is that the enemy presented to Jesus something that was right because it was the what. But where it was wrong is by the way. He presented to him something that was right. But the hook was, is that even though it was right, it wasn't the right way. So as long as he talked about the what, he was on. But when he talked about the way is when it fell off. Hey, if you are who you say you are, I know you're hungry, bro. Turn those rocks into, into bread. You have the power to do it for yourself. I do. I am who I say I am. And I do have the power that you say. But man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Right? Interesting. He attempted to lure him in with the right what. The argument that was created 
was right as long as the focus was on the what. But where it fell short, where it presented compromise, where it got derailed for the character, the nature, the actual substance and stature of God himself is when the prescribed way was presented to him. He said, I understand in this conversation that the what is accurate, but when you present to me the way that you want me to lay hold of, the what that you are presenting is where everything gets derailed. Um, I know for some, you are probably wondering what this has anything to do with what I'm talking about. Um, we have to be very careful um, that when we are presented with certain arguments, certain conversations, certain rallying points that bear the language of unity, um, certain categories, people groups um, that are inviting us in because the what sounds right. You don't understand the what is right. Um, the what is dead on. The what is accurate. I understand because it, if it was full blown, just off and nonsense and didn't seem to make any sense whatsoever, it wouldn't be as tempting for you to participate. It wouldn't be as attractive when the lure was put out on the end of the hook in order for you to bite, in order for you to create a place where now in this category or in this conversation, you have readied yourself and found a place of belonging. What we need to understand is that the what can be dead on, but the way can be dead wrong. And this is the problem with a lot of what we are dealing with in our cultural situations that are unfolding around us. Many of us have been lured in by information that gets presented to us that seems right. And we're hungry for something. We're hungry for a different outcome. We're hungry to see things transformed. We're hungry to see these stones turn into bread. We're hungry to make provisions. We're hungry to see outcomes turned over and to see things changed. And the talking points, the rallying points, the information that gets presented to us may seem, may sound, may look incredibly accurate. But the problem is not even necessarily always with the talking points, with the information, with the conversation that gets created and the accuracy of that information. But it's the way that gets prescribed as to how we are supposed to arrive there. You see, we, we get into a lot of trouble when we preach all of our other points outside of Jesus. Um, and I get it. It becomes very difficult to start with Jesus and then end up in some of the places where we see people ending up. Um, but it is supposed to be problematic. Um, but even though it is problematic and at times is not compatible with the culture, does not mean that God is going to compromise his desires in order to satisfy your desires. God is not going to compromise his way just because you might have found a way in order to provide for the things that you are hungry for and you believe you have the power to overturn in the culture that we have that's surrounding us. 
Um, and I'm talking about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but right now, because the itch is so strong in some of our hearts and in some of our lives, uh, you might think that I'm only talking about a specific conversation right now. Um, but I'm not. Um, I'm actually talking about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I'm actually talking about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, you see, we are very easily distracted and deceived. Because in most times, we just have not been preaching a powerful enough gospel. We've not been preaching the simplicity and the power of the gospel as it is. But we have catered our gospel to politics. We have catered our gospel to the race conversation. We have catered our gospel to Hollywood and the music industry. We have catered our gospel to power and privilege and influence and finances. We have catered our gospel. And because our gospel has been catered to all of these other categories and conversations, the compromise of the people that are supposed to be produced whenever we preach the simple raw power of this gospel is not actually happening the way that it should be happening. Um, because we've been trying to convert our culture with allowing them to remain the same and just adding a Jesus language into different categories so that they can still belong where they belong and behave how they behave as long as they do it with a different language and a Jesus t-shirt on. Um, we don't preach race. We preach Jesus. We don't preach black. We don't preach white. We don't preach yellow. We don't preach purple. We don't preach green. We preach Jesus. We preach his cross. We preach his blood. We preach the wisdom of God. We preach a brand new creation. We preach the expression of one new man. We preach the conquering of sin. We preach the abolishing of death. We preach no longer being a captive. We preach no longer being a prisoner to the spirit of the age. This is the gospel that we preach. And when we preach this gospel, it makes a new creation. And this new creation doesn't have to satisfy itself with the world's conversation. Because when we preach this gospel, this gospel creates a whole different conversation. And in most instances, we're still dealing with with a lot of the issues that we're dealing with because we would rather preach a bunch of other nonsense instead of preaching the purity and the simplicity and the powerful reality of the gospel that God has given us um, because this gospel creates a new people. This gospel makes a new family. This gospel takes people that are dead and rather than comforting them in the grave, makes them alive to God and creates a new family throughout the nations and allows them to burn with a simple jealousy to honor Jesus in covenant loyalty, realizing that because of his life, his power, the blood that has washed me, I am not what I used to be. And because I am not what I used to be, all of those bondages have fallen off my life and I'm in a whole new conversation and this conversation doesn't cater to skin color 
Because skin color is no longer a determiner. It's no longer a lens. It's no longer preferential treatment. But we've all been washed in the precious blood of the Jesus. We've all been now, though we were at one point crimson red, we are now spotless. We are white as snow. We are brand new before God. And this, this, this actually becomes a lot of the problem. Um, is we get lured into all of these race-baiting conversations and we bite because the what sounds right. You, you do understand racism is not an American thing. Racism is a sin thing. And anywhere where sin abides, racism is going to abound. Um, racism is a world thing. Racism is a hostile expression of a sinful reality that is alive on the inside that does not have the power to put itself to death. It must be crucified through the wisdom of the cross, through the shedding of the blood of God. There is no hope to be let free from racism without this hope that we have found in the announcement of the gospel. But because we are not trying to satisfy the conversation of race and racism and hostility with the simple, pure, raw power of the gospel. We are not seeing the effect on our own lives or on culture around us because we are trying to cater to it in a variety of conversations. Um, race is not just an America thing. Race is a sin thing. Are there racists in America? Absolutely. I believe there's racists in North America. I believe there's racists in South America. I believe there's racists in the Middle East. I believe there's racists all over Europe. I believe there's racists in Australia. There's racists in the Asian side of the world because I believe that race and racism is a sin issue. Uh, but we get race baited and we get baited and lured into a conversation that may have the right what, but its way is way off. And we get brought into compromise and we bear the spirit of the age trying to fight for godly conclusions. It can't just be the what it has to be married to the way. And God has already prescribed the way preach the gospel. Be ye transformed through the renewing of your mind. Right. And the race conversation is not the only conversation. Um, but it is a conversation right now that we have been baited into in America and that through this race baiting conversation has produced a wicked web of deception where because we've been lured into it by things that sound right and it's accurate information that is leading the charge of the what we get lured into it but what we don't understand is that because we've been lured in by the accuracy of the what the way has been jeopardized the way has been compromised and through the compromising of the way it has kicked the door wide open to a full-scale deception that is now allowing the infiltration of a wicked demonic agenda. Um, a wicked demonic agenda. Um, and, and it is what it is. And we are where we are. Um, and we have to own this moment in history. Um, we have to own this moment in history uh, because this is our moment in history. But we've been lured in 
And in many instances, because we're so jealous to see the stones turn into bread in the conversation of the what, we're so jealous to see breakthrough, to see transformation. We're lured in because again, nobody would be willing to follow if it was just totally bogus, if it was nonsense, if the way that it was presented to us was presented in a way that like we all understood, like, no, nah, that, that's just, that's total nonsense. Like there's no reason even pursuing this. There's no reason in aligning my life here. There's no reason in finding an energy or an animation in this conversation, but because the information is accurate, um, there, there is racism in America. We get that. Um, but we can't be lured into the conversation where now the way we are fighting it is by becoming racist ourselves. And we bear the spirit of the world. And we're bearing the spirit of the world and we've brought compromise to the way. And what we're fighting for is not actually something that's gospel-centered. It's not something that's gospel-centered, but it's antagonistic. It's critical. It seeks to cater to the efforts of the world and the conversations of our culture. It's seeking to satisfy the conversation of the race issue with other substance than the powerful work and hope of transformation that is found only in the gospel. We have no hope through legislation to transform the human heart. We have no hope through policies, through the platforms of presidential candidates to transform the human heart. And it does not matter if a candidate caters to the language that you desire, they can make a bunch of political promises. But what we need to understand is that when we're lured in because of the prospecting of all of these promises and when hook, line, sinker, whenever we find ourselves in the deep end of chaos, in the deep end of deception, in the deep end of the catering to a conversation that belongs to the world, what we understand is that there's a full-on attachment of demonic agenda. Don't give the enemy a foothold, right? Don't give the enemy a foothold. Um, there's a lot of conversations where we are being confronted for our convictions and the consequences of our loving loyalty to Jesus as King in our culture right now. We understand that every administration seeks to undo the efforts of the previous administration and to swing the pendulum further in the opposite direction. Every election cycle, every establishment of a new administration, it seems as if we're constantly pushing the pendulum back and forth, seeking to cater to the agenda, the desires, seeking to cater to, in some cases, just a full-on unraveling and unveiling of chaos, of darkness, um, and, and this is what we're finding. And the crucible for our lives as we are planted here in the United States of America, living in the pressure of our cultural surroundings, the crucible for our lives is 
the consequences of living in loving loyalty to Jesus and understanding that the compatibility of my love for him is not always going to create cheerleaders in the world. It's not always going to fit nicely and neatly into the categories or conversations that the world is telling me I have to fit into, but that the cross has created its own conversation, that this new community is the expression of one new man and that I will not be race baited. I will not be politic driven. I will not be power oriented. I will not surrender to any of these things because I've surrendered to Jesus and I belong to him and his cross, his blood and the power of the life of his own spirit is at work on the inside of a people that belong to him. And the lives of these people have been planted in this nation for such a time as this. And the only hope that we have to bring real transformation to our culture is through the announcement of the gospel. But the gospel that is unadulterated, the gospel that does not have all these supplemental desires, the gospel that is not catering to a specific people group, that is not compromising because it's trying to find its bearings or its placement in a specific conversation, a gospel that is not preferring anyone, but that is offending the rebellion and the independence and the deadness on the inside of everyone. Because until then, we do not come truly and fully alive to God because the announcement of the gospel is an offense to the spirit of the world. And this is the only shot we have. It's the only shot we have. I'm going to encourage you, stop preaching your politics and start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop preaching your race baiting and start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop catering to people that are rich and famous and start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop preferring certain categories and getting lured into certain conversations because you're longing to find your belonging in the world because you desire to live life free from the pressure of the consequences that your loving devotion and your loyalty to Jesus as king is going to create. It is a natural byproduct of the transformation out of the bondage of the spirit of the age and into the image of this beautiful broken man. It is a byproduct of that work that is happening in our lives. We do not belong here. But as long as we reside here, we are the only people that have filled the nations of the earth that carry real hope because we are the only people that carry it ourselves and that can bring the announcement into the world that there is another way. There is a way out. This is the light tower. This is the beacon of hope that shines in the darkest of dark. This is the announcement that thunders into hell itself. Let my people go.
We are the only offering of hope in this world. Not we ourselves, but the announcement that we bring. Not we ourselves, but the life of God that's alive on the inside of us. Not we ourselves, again, because of who we individually may be, but because we carry God's life, because we carry the announcement of the gospel, because we are being transformed. And it is this offering that we bring in the time that God gives us that provides hope to the world. Um, now, now I get it. Um, you know, there are going to be some who try to say, uh, because it happens every time. Um, but God uses people in all of these spheres of life. He does. He absolutely does. Um, and I believe that he does. Um, but what I also believe um, is that as long as our hearts are free, um, all things are possible. Um, but when we are bound to the spirit of it, we get entangled with it. Um, and we might champion the what, but over time we end up compromising the way. Um, we have to understand, Paul says, he himself is our peace. There is no real peace outside of Jesus. He is our peace. And he has reconciled the two categories into one. Um, what two categories? I know that Paul is referencing two specific categories here, being Jew and Gentile. Um, but in reality... Any two categories you want to enter into the conversation. He has reconciled both black and white into himself and has made way for the expression of one new man. Um, he has reconciled both rich and poor into himself, creating now the expression of one new man. Um, he has reconciled both Baptist and charismatic into himself for the expression of one new man. He has reconciled both Democrat and Republican. Um, now you do understand I'm talking about as a primary way of identification. I'm not talking about um, the association of these ideologies. Um, it is clear that the whole system is corrupt that there's no hope to be found in the entire system. Um, but what is also clear, and we all have to recognize this and own this, is that there is a specific agenda that is associated um, with the democratic platform. Um, there, there is. I don't care if you don't like the way that sounds. It, the Facts are facts. Um, we are now dealing with some of the unraveling of darkness and deception and just chaos again that is being full-on released into culture once again once again we're dealing with the conversation of why i'm now gonna have to watch out for my daughters because of boys and dudes grown men that are going to try to enter into the bathroom with them because they identify as a girl let me just tell you your genitalia identifies you as a man um, so it doesn't matter to me what you think up here. What matters to me is what shows down here. Um, but here again, 
we're going to have to now watch out for my little girls. Because again, we're writing things into public policy. The pendulum is swinging. It doesn't matter to me that a dude from Pennsylvania, and if you know what I'm talking about, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The health advisor on a national level. It's a man who identifies. doesn't matter to me if you put a dress on and wear a wig. It's a man. We're talking full-blown deception. A catering to a specific agenda. A catering to certain conversations. A catering to compromise. Full-blown wickedness. Darkness. The pendulum is swinging. And if we are not ready to stand up to our convictions and to face the consequences. Um, but this is where we are. This is where we are. Um, again, you can't legislate transformation. Um, codifying the abortionist agenda to where it wouldn't actually matter if Roe versus Wade ever got overturned. Because it would be codified. Um, you can look it up for yourself if you don't understand. I'm actually codifying it. Funding abortion globally with taxpayer dollars. Um, you, you do understand that every decision bears consequences. Every decision bears consequences. And so the way we choose matters. And we must realign our hearts with the way. And the way is the announcement of the gospel. The way is the transformative power of the gospel. For way too long, we as the church, we as a new creation in the United States of America have sought for a connection point to power through a variety of other conversations. We have sought power through influence, influence and therefore have catered to Hollywood and the music industry. We've sought power. And what do I mean by that? Well, if so-and-so can just get saved, then all of a sudden Jesus is going to be super cool and everybody's going to want to get saved too. So, you know, we'll cater to them and we'll let them do what they want to do. And, you know, it's cool if they still do their own thing and, you know, have all their attachments to the world. We're not really going to present them with the fullness or the full measure of the cost to walking with Jesus because we want to rally their influence. We want to piggyback their influence. So we're going to cater to that influence and we're going to make a conversation that is tailored to them and we'll let them love Jesus their own way so that we can somehow rally their influence thinking that Jesus needs that to turn the world upside down. But because we've looked for influence through Hollywood and the music industry, we've catered to another conversation. Because we've looked for influence through the conversation of politics, we've compromised on both sides and we've sought power through politics because we've looked for power through Wall Street and economic systems and financial motivators. We've compromised because we've looked for power through our own influence and platform and stature with our culture. We've compromised. It is time to resist the prescription of the world. 
Turn these stones into bread. I know you're hungry for this. You have the power to feed yourself. You do. You have the power to feed yourself. But the problem with this conversation is that the prescription compromises the way. God will not satisfy those solutions without the embrace of the cross. And anywhere that the cross is not central in the conversation that we create as a solution to satisfy the woes of our culture, we are off. Even if the information that we present is accurate, we are prescribing or offering a way that ultimately will not lead to the destination that we ultimately desire because the cross is what provides transformation. The blood of Jesus is what produces transformation. The life of God residing and continually working on the inside of humanity that has embraced that cross, that has applied that blood, that has come alive to God. This is the only hope to conform a people to the image of this Jesus. It's time to realize that possibly um, some of us have fallen off of the way um, because we've got wrapped up in a way that bears more of the spirit of the world than it does the application of the cross. And that though we may be able to feed ourselves, um, you're going to be full, but you're also going to be dissatisfied um, because you may get the outworking of what you desire, but it's going to come with a whole bunch of other stuff that you may not have anticipated. He himself is our peace. And he has put to death everything that should divide us. And he has reconciled all of the broken pieces into the perfection of his own body and the power of his own life. And now the life that is alive on the inside of us does not belong to the world. So we don't have to cater to its conversation. But the power of the gospel, the power of the blood of Jesus, the power of the wisdom of his cross, and the power of that work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us has put our life in a new conversation. And that conversation is the real hope for the rest of the world. And so rather than finding us losing our bearings by getting wrapped up in the world's conversation, we should be inviting the rest of the world into our conversation. Because at the end of the age, there's only one conversation that's going to last through and into eternity. And I promise you, it's not the conversation that the world is having, but it's the conversation that Jesus has given us and has put our life into. We carry real hope. We carry the only conversation that matters. And that conversation brings real transformation to everything that it touches.
because it brings dead things to life, because it sets the prisoner free, because it turns bondage into freedom. We are the conversation that matters in the world. And it's time that we start preaching it simply, powerfully, and putting our confidence back into the conversation that God has given us and making the life of the cross central in the way that it satisfies the solutions that we are seeking to bring transformation to the woes of the world around us. Um, This is our moment in history. And I would encourage us to consider the way, the way, Um, because again, it's not only the what that matters, but the what must be married to the way, because God's not going to compromise either one, even if it feeds you and satisfies your desires by seeming to, in an immediate way, provide the necessary outcome that you long for or that you hunger after. The what must be married to the way. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.